Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will help set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and leading practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. That means I have four guests today. I have a quick announcement. Deloitte has been recognized by SAP as the number one global partner. Follow Deloitte on Twitter at at Deloitte SAP. Very excited about that news and well-deserved. Let me tell you what our topic is today, and then I will have my four specialists, their specialists on this topic, share their bios, a little bit about what they do and their passion for the topic, and let's get started. So what are we talking about today? B2B relationships are inherently complex. We know that. With buying cycles that can stretch for months, with multiple decision makers and influencers along the way. This is no news to anybody. We know this is the world we're living in. High-value deals and many company reputations are often on the line, especially today. But B2B has always been at its core about people. That's right. You can talk B2B all you want all day long, but it comes down to people. So today we're going to help you discover insights and can help you humanize the B2B experience in an increasingly digital world. We have Deloitte customer experience and transformation professionals and a couple of specialists with us who are not Deloitte. They're going to explain how industry leaders today are using digital capabilities to deepen the important people core values. What are they? Trust and relationships and share findings from Deloitte's latest sales research. This research includes, listen to this, B2B customer experience leaders were 18% more likely than laggards to have exceeded their revenue goals in the past 12 months. That is a big deal. So we have Tim Grulick with us today. They'll tell you who they are, where they're from, what they do, and why they're here. We have Michelle Weidman. Welcome, Michelle. We have Deepak Sharma. Welcome, Deepak. And we have Minu Agarwal. They're going to talk about how they set themselves apart because they're specialists, but they're people too, in quantifiable ways by adopting human-centric strategies and a built-to-evolve, we always talk about this, a built-to-evolve kinetic enterprise approach. Our topic today, the kinetic enterprise, humanizing b 2 experiences in a digital world. Welcome. I am Bonnie D. Graham. So happy to be here. It's Friday morning. It's early and we've got a lot of brain power here on the panel. Let's start off with Tim Grulick. Tim, you've been on before. We're so happy to have you back. And Tim, would you do us the honor, please, of introducing yourself briefly? And why are you here? Talk to me. Sure. Sure. Thanks, Bonnie, for having me back. And uh, yeah, well, my name is Tim Grulick. I lead Deloitte's Experience Management Practice and what does that mean? It just means that I've got a passion for operationalizing customer experience. Wake up every day and trying to find ways to help organizations better understand their customer feedback, uh, primary feedback from customers, and really what to what to do about it, um, how to make better business decisions based upon it. And you know why I'm here today is um, I've always had an interest and a passion for relationships and how we build relationships within organizations or build them with inanimate products or services. And so we've done some research around the topic of building relationships with customers and with business, I'm sorry, B2C clients, and we've just done it now with B2B, and so I'm interested in sharing some of those findings and, and insights from that paper. Thank you very much, Tim. Nice to have you, and we're glad you're going to share those insights. We appreciate that. Let me go to a view of everybody here. We are recording on Zoom, and I can see my panelists, and I like this because I can watch you think. When we did shows on the phone for years, I had to hear you think, now I can see you think. So thank you very much. Very pleased to welcome our next guest, Michelle Weidman. First time with us here on the Kinetic Enterprise. Michelle, please tell everybody who you are, what you do, and what's your passion for the topic. Welcome. 
Good morning and happy Friday. As Bonnie mentioned, I'm Michelle Weidman. I'm currently the Chief Customer Officer at ONA, where I am responsible for customer success, technical support, and our professional services team. I've been in software for over 20 years, and throughout my entire career, I've really always gravitated towards companies that have a really good culture and a really good product and a desire to put their customers first. And I think that's why I'm really passionate about today's topic, because I'm a strong proponent of people buy from who they like. And Bonnie, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on live radio, but I'm really a true believer in the no asshole policy. So when I'm looking at building my teams and I really believe executives should lead the charge on this. And, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what our role is at any company, we should be good people and genuinely want to do everything in our power to best serve our customers. Because I really believe when we make our customers successful, we all come out as winners. Michelle, that's a first. I've never heard that before. I think there was a, a slightly audible and visible gasp on the panel when you said that. But, well, wait a minute. We're talking about people, so I guess we gave you permission. We'll, we'll see, what, see what the sponsors say about that. Thank you, Michelle. That was actually one of the more interesting introductions I've heard in a long time. Let's move on. Deepak Sharma is with us. Deepak is on his phone, and we're seeing him on Zoom, and that's always technologically interesting. So, Deepak, Welcome. I understand you have a relative who's been on the radio with me before. So this is our first time. Deepak, please introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you. Excited to be here. So I'm a partner in Deloitte and I lead the customer success, customer outcomes practice, uh, whose goal is to help clients really establish the customer success and customer experience. And for me, I've always been a believer of experiences shape our lives, right? People always remember how you make them feel. And so really excited to see this now really come full force as a wave in B2B. And that's one of the reasons I'm here to talk about it and actually really make sure that it goes more and more into the enterprises and people start understanding humans at a human level versus thinking of them as accounts. Thank you very much. We're getting away from that. What number are you in my customer base, right? Rather than, oh, there's a person behind that number. They might have feelings. They might have experiences. They might have thoughts. They might react to everything I say or do. What an interesting concept. Thank you, Deepak. And let's go to our fourth panelist. We're happy to welcome Minu Agarwal. Minu, so happy to have you here. And why don't you introduce yourself, please? You're up. Minu, you're on mute, dear. There we go. Thank you, Bonnie, and it's such a pleasure to be here. Uh, good morning to everybody, and Minu um, um, Agarwal here. Um, I have responsibility for global customer success at VMware, um, and you know I've been in the industry over 25 years, always with software companies. And the core, I'm a big believer that at the core of everything we do is about us as people. And, uh, you know, we spend a big part of our lives at work. So keeping people and humans first and leading with that is central to everything we do. And uh, so that's a fundamental belief. I've spent my life in uh, sales and services and success and different parts of the software industry. But every, everything we do is about interacting as human beings, building the trust, building the relationship, and ultimately, it is about the experiences. I think Deepak said it very well. Everyone remembers how you made them feel. And 
That is fun. We buy from people we like. Michelle said that. It's all about trust, responsibility, relationship. So I'm very excited about our topic today. Very meaningful and something that's, you know, uh, core to me and uh, important. Thank you very much, Mina. Happy to have you here. And I appreciate the time the four of you are giving us. We're very happy. Let's do a shout out, a very meaningful shout out to Carla Neal, who was one of the sponsors of the show, Helen Tomas at Deloitte. I've been working with them for years. And also Igosa Obakpalor, who is behind the scenes watching us. And he's there saying, yes, this is a good panel. Of course it is. You help select them. So thank you all. Very happy. Now is the time we're going to get to some quotes. And if you're a new listener to the Kinetic Enterprise, you might say, why are they quoting movies and songs? What's that got to do with this topic? Well, I have breaking news for you. My panelists are people. Ah, and they like things like that. And quotes matter to them. And so I've asked them to pick a song, a TV show, or a movie quote that has nothing to do with our topic and relate it in their own words. And this will give you, our listeners and our viewers, if you see the video eventually, give you some insights into who they are as people, what they care about, and interesting creative ways to take these quotes and bring them to a business conversation. And by the way, I think Michelle and Deepak were quoting Maya Angelou a few minutes ago. It matters how you make people feel. doesn't matter what you say, what you do. It matters how you make people feel. So thank you both for, for that reference. Unnamed, now we know who it was. So Tim Grulick, you're up first. And Tim has sent me a quote from uh, L.B. Julius Campbell, played by Wood Harris in the movie Remember the Titans 2000 American, the year 2000 American biographical sports film. And here is the quote, very interesting. Attitude reflects leadership, Captain. Tim, help me out with this. What's this got to do with our topic? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's all about humanizing uh, how, we, how we go to market and how we uh, interact with people. I, this quote is about two weeks ago. I was sitting with my kids. It was a Friday and... Um, I had a pretty rough day at work and we were about to have movie night and we always have animated movie night. My kids are eight and six and I was kind of tired of watching animated movies. So I was suggesting the movie topic. And so I thought, all right, let's watch Remember the Titans, not for the broader message that it has, but more about teamwork because my son's playing his eight-year-old basketball right now. And so, you know, we're watching the movie and it's going a bit above their heads and they're asking a lot of questions about everything that's going on. You know how your kids ask questions over questions over questions, right? And so, we get to this point and, and there's the conflict in the movie and, and, you know, the question, the quote comes, you know, attitudes about leadership captain. And he asked again, like, well, what does that mean? And I'm like, you know what, this is a perfect time for me to reset myself a little bit because I wasn't in the best of moods at that time. And I'm like, you know what, it is, it is. Attitude reflects leadership, how we show up for our clients, how we show up for our customers, how we show up for our teams. It's really important as we think about humanizing the experience, we have to humanize the interactions that we're having with other people. We have to take the lead and setting the example and setting the attitude for our teams that will then trickle down to our clients and will trickle down to the experience. And so I thought that'd be a good quote. It was, it was retroactive to 2021 for me and kind of looking forward. It's, it's something to look forward to also and to make sure I'm, I'm aware of. Thank you very much. That was humbling and interesting. And sometimes movie songs and quotes from shows from people we watch, characters, they can give us a chance to reset, can't they, Tim? Yeah. They give us oh, yeah. a chance to say what's going on. And thank you for sharing. <laughs> Family time with young kids today has certainly become a challenge in young households. So happy to have that. And thanks. I've never uh, watched the movie and maybe I'll have to go do that as well. So appreciate that. Let's go to Michelle Weidman. Michelle has sent us a quote. We love this one. If 
if anybody remembers Finding Nemo, a 2003 American computer. Well, it was an animated film, Tim, so I don't know if you would have watched it. Right. Your I'm kids sure we've already seen it did. That. Michelle, <laughs> Michelle can watch it, though. She'll tell you what it's about. Uh, animated, computer animated adventure film produced by Pixar, released by Walt Disney Pictures. And it's the quote is voiced by Ellen DeGeneres, and the character is Dory. She is a regal blue tang with short-term memory loss. Oh, my. And here's the quote. Everybody knows it. I don't know how the song goes, Michelle, and I'm not even going to try, but it's just keep swimming, just keep swimming, 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 swimming. Lots of swimming going on. Michelle, let's get along swimmingly here. Tell me what this means to our topic. Go ahead. Man, I just feel like it relates to so many different things in our lives right now. I mean, from a work perspective, when you're helping customers with technical support issues and customer success issues, every day is a new challenge and you don't know what's going to be, you know, facing when you go into the office in the morning. So, you know, I always tell my coworkers, handle one thing at a time, just keep swimming. And then, you know, you take this to the whole COVID level now and we just don't know when this thing's going to come to an end. And, and our, again, our coworkers are dealing with more than they've ever had before with young kids at home and both spouses working. And how do I juggle everything? And it's like, take a deep breath, just keep swimming. We'll get through this together. And then, you know, I look at my own kids. I'm a mother of triplets who are eight, almost nine. And then I have a 10-year-old and they're like, mom, when is the world going to go back to normal? And it's like, just keep swimming. We're going to get through this. So I think it's a good theme for all of us right now on so many work and personal fronts. Michelle, you stopped me cold at triplets. <laughs> Fine, you can babysit anytime you want. They're, they're really cute. Where do you live? <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. We'll just leave it at there. Yes, we, we like to know who our, our guests are, who our specialists are, and you're all really, really people. Thank you very much for sharing that. Let's go to Deepak Sharma. And Deepak has sent a quote from, uh, let's see, the movie is Return of Xander Cage, a 2017 American action film. And the character is Xander, X-A-N-D-E-R. I have a, Michelle, I have some neighbors here whose grandson is named Xander with an X. I thought that was interesting. He is an extreme athlete turned XXXS, little X, Big X, Little X, field agent who is believed to have died in the movie, played by Vin Diesel. And here's the quote. This is interesting. This is the team I can work with. The good, the extreme, and the completely insane. Deepak, you got to love this. Quotes are great. Go ahead, Deepak. Bail us out here. What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, so this is actually from a few years ago. And uh, believe it or not, it, it came... Uh, the application of this came from my older daughter to us. So we were at work getting ready for like a big meeting, three-day workshop. We had 50 people coming from over the globe. And we were trying to figure out how do we make this, elevate the human experience? How do we really make it better for them? And, uh, you know, we were, I was on a conference call with my team. And suddenly my older daughter after the call says, why didn't you give them what they like? I said, what do you mean? She's like, well, wouldn't they like to eat the food they want, the snacks they want from their country? Maybe they want to see the movie. So we actually flipped the agenda around where we did a survey and we got like, what is everyone's favorite snack? What do they like when they're stressed out? What do they like when they're happy? We figured out which movies they like, which songs do they like? And we played those in the intervals and we had all of those snacks laid out when people came. And what was interesting was at the end of those three days, everybody, 95% of the people who came claimed that this was the best experience. Nobody could put a finger on it, but the level of collaboration that we saw and the outcome that we saw was amazing. 
coming out of this uh, that we saw and i think that really told me that you have to not just be like thinking about good things but you have to think outside the box you got to be like completely this thing and i feel in b2b this is still a relatively new concept how to think about experience how to think about personalization so you need a team that's not just all good but also willing to go the mile right we had to go scrounge around and find all these food and snacks from different countries and put it there for the people and then you need people who are just going to like come up with crazy ideas and say why not try this uh, and and i think that's the way the industry will change so that's the quote Thank you for the sharing the experience. That was interesting. It sounds crazy and insane and fun. It sounds like it made perfectly good sense for the people who were involved. And you mentioned personalization, Deepak. I think you're also talking, taking it to another level. It's not like your customer 25.397 and we have to make sure you get what your company needs. It's humanization also, right? It's going to the human level of the personalization. Maybe that's something we need to need to put into the conversation as well. Thank you, Deepak. And Minu Agarwal, I'm up to you. And Minu has sent a beautiful song lyric from John Lennon's Imagine, which was written and released, released in 1971. It's the second studio album by the late great John Lennon of Beatles fame. And it was released September 9th, 1971 by Apple Records, co-produced by John Lennon, his wife, Yoko Ono, and Phil Spector. And here is the quote, and everybody knows this one. You may say I'm a dreamer but I'm not the only one. Minu, I get chills when I read that line. What Talk to us about how this relates to our topic. Go ahead, Minu. Yeah, so, you know, on multiple levels. First of all, it tells you a little bit about who I am. I am a dreamer. I like to dream. And, uh, you know, the album Imagine um, is one of my favorites, of course. But more importantly, I want to say, and you will probably hear me say this today on the show, a lot of my conversations start with imagine a world. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do like to imagine because I, I'm a believer that only when you can imagine it or dream it, can you actually do something about it. So it is about challenging status quo. It is about doing sometimes even what seems impossible. So dreaming is a big part of you know, the future. And I think today's topic is very meaningful. We all as aspirationally, we want, to, we want to imagine a world which is much more beautiful, much more connected, much more experience-based. Are we there yet? We have to keep doing this, right? We have to keep trying new things, be creative, be bold. And I want to say I'm not alone. I'm not the only one here. I am sharing this moment with uh, my peers here. And, you know, we're all trying to do this. So I love this. I thought this was very meaningful to the moment, a little bit about who I am and what we are here to discuss. Thank you very much. I want to thank my panelists for finding such interesting quotes, lovely thoughts, interesting thoughts. And Michelle, we're still dealing with the concept you mentioned at the beginning and the triplets. So we'll, we'll have to get past that. Thank you. Talk about humanizing. Now it's time for our roundtable. We're going to get really serious and dive into the topic. And if you're just tuning in, this is the Kinetic Enterprise Built to Evolve presented by Deloitte. Episode number 33. I'm keeping track. You don't have to. And our topic is humanizing 
B2B experiences in a digital world. Very, very important topic. My special guests today are Tim Grulick, Michelle Weidman, Deepak Sharma, and Minu Agarwal. So I'm going to look at statement number two. Tim Grulick has sent me, they each sent me four discussion statements before the show, and I'm going to keep this moving along with interesting and refreshing ways of looking at the topic. Tim, I'm going to read your statement number two, at least part of it, and ask you to expand it for about three minutes, and then we will quickly go around the table, give each of our other guests about two minutes each to agree or disagree, and let's see how much trouble Tim gets in with his statement here and see see who's brave enough to disagree with Tim, of course, in a business tone of voice. So here's what Tim said. He said, buyers and sellers both agree on how critical trust is, rating trustworthiness as far and away as the most important attribute of customer experience. The second one was reliability, important to most to both groups. Tim Grulick, you're up. Talk to me. What does this all mean? I think it's interesting how trust has come to the forefront of what it means to to deliver a good experience. And I think the questions that we have to answer our customer experience professionals is, is trust the end game? Is trust just the beginning of how you start the relationship? And then there's a way to create a differentiated experience afterwards. Um, I think that's kind of still up for debate, but but the, the common theme, both in actually in the B2C relationships and actually, actually in the B2B relationships is that trust is becoming core to and almost equivalent to the beginning of an experience. And when I think about you know, how we think about building experiences, it's, it's, it's all about relationships and it's about building relationships. And um, in the B2C world, we, we like in relationships to friendships. Uh, in the B2B world, it's probably more like a family because there's more multiple people that have to be involved in that. And, and what's core at the, the building of a relationship from a family is, is the trust perspective. You have to build trust in whether it be your product, whether it be the people that are working with you before you can take that to the next level and build some sort of differentiated experiences. And, that, that came through loud and clear in the research that we just created. I thought what was interesting is one point from the research is that, you know, there are, when you think about trust, trust is built on by delivering on promises and it's eroded by, by mistakes and, and mistakes in the B2C world, you know, people are more lenient if you actually have a good product in the B2B world, our, our research came back that uh, there may not be as much leniency in, in the B2B world as for mistakes that are being made. I don't know why that is, but, but there may not be as much leniency. And, and one of the things that we asked, some of our panelists was, you know, would you retain a relationship if there were multiple mistakes? And, you know, 41% of the people that were consumers of the service said, you know what, I'm probably going to discontinue that relationship if there are repeatable mistakes that go over. But if you ask the sellers the same question, the sellers only thought that about only about 30% of the sellers thought that, that would cost them the sale. It's interesting that the 15 or so percent gap there of what sellers believe their delivery of meeting a promise and what buyers believe the expectations, uh, delivery of expectations are to them. And so um, once again, that's a trust factor and, and there's obviously a gap between those who are providing the service and those that are receiving the service. And so it's something we need to figure out how to measure and how to, uh, how to deliver on better. Thank you, Tim. Very interesting insights and trust is key in all of our relationships, but interesting you said about the number of mistakes and the forgiveness and whether somebody can overcome that lost trust or the trust that never got established in B2B. We're talking most cases, big money. It's not like I bought a pair of shoes from you for an on sale for $59.95 and they didn't fit well, or there was a scuff on them. I didn't see I want to return them. We're talking, we're talking of the ripple effect of what am I buying on a B2B basis. So let's go around the table, agree or disagree. You already know where I sit on that, but that doesn't matter. I'm just the moderator. Michelle Weidman, love to get your thoughts on what Tim just said. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with Tim, especially about building trust earlier on in the sales cycle. And one of the things that I'm a big proponent of is I really do believe that the customer success team should engage in the pre-sales cycle. I think it's mission critical that we're working with our prospects to let them know we are truly here to partner with you. And this success person is going to be your champion and advocate throughout your entire journey as our customer. And we're not going to sell you something and, and walk away. So mm -hmm. I, I do think I would put an exclamation mark at Tim's statement about the importance of engaging early on in, in the sales cycle and, and building trust early and then continuing it throughout the entire journey. Tim, you just earned an exclamation mark. Know, Boy, wow. There you go. I think we have a new standard here, Michelle. You started something new here on the Kinetic Enterprise. Deepak, please weigh in on this. What do you think? Yes, I, I also definitely agree. I think trust is going to become fundamental. But I also think that we still have to demystify trust in the B2B world. So it's not just about, yes, you need to understand. And I think intuitively we all know when trust is established but you really have to dimensionalize it i think for b2b because as tim said it's a family right the multiple stakeholders so is it about transparency is it about capability is it about reliability is it about showing humanity is it all of these things so i think the work ahead for the industry is going to be figuring out how do we demystify what trust means in b2b because then and only then can we actually start changing how we work to put those processes or things in place that will actually make sure that trust is at the bedrock of everything we start doing. And I think we are early in the journey. Uh, we are early in the journey mm -hmm. for sure. And, and, and I, like Michelle, am a strong believer that customer success needs to be part of the pre-sales process as well, where you can have, if you think about it in B2B, it's about the promise maker and the promise delivery of it, right? And you want to make sure that there is no gap between the two. If anything, our latest research, that's what it's showing, like there is a gap. And to put an even finer point on the metrics, almost 66% of B2B buyers will drop their vendor after one bad support experience. Mm -hmm. You don't even need more than that. Just one will be enough for them to walk away. Uh, so the, that's that's kind of where I am on it. It's like you got to demystify trust as we move forward. Thank you. Interesting. There's a sign on the platform of the Long Island Railroad that says, watch the gap, right? When you step on the train, I'm from New York. And so you said we have to close the gap, watch the gap, find the gap, identify the gap, and close the gap. Minu, love to get your thoughts. Please join us. Yes, and uh, absolutely agree uh, with all of the sentiments on trust here. Uh, I think trust is fundamental, but it has to be earned, right? We all know trust is something that uh, takes time. It's not, uh, you know, one and done, and it can be broken very easily too. So we have to remember that trust and relationships are important. And one way I feel, you know, we earn our trust continuously with our, with our customers, with the people we interact with in the business setting, is by delivering on our promises. Mm -hmm. So when we said, you know, we talked, you were saying just now, it's not a $59.99 pair of shoes. It is a much bigger investment. Our customers are making an investment with an outcome in mind. Are we going to deliver on that outcome? That is where trust starts. And it's a journey, right? It's, again, not going to happen immediately. It'll take time. So earn the trust, keep delivering on the promises, and there will be mistakes along the way. But if you are 
sharing that and having the transparency because we all know relationships also are about transparency. So if you can be transparent and you know have that shared view, I think it goes a long way because uh, I know for a fact being so many years in the industry, our customers are great. They forgive us. They're very forgiving. They're human beings, but you can't keep doing it, right? You have to make sure that you are sharing and getting better and improving. All of those are fundamentals to a strong business and relationships and trust. Thank you, Mino. Tim, thank you for a great topic. Anything you want to say back to your co-panelists quickly? Oh, no, I, th- I think in this one, we're, we're in agreement. I, I'm, I'm interested, as with everybody, to see how trust plays out over the next couple of years and how we dig deeper into kind of this, we, we demystify this as, as deep access. Thank you very much. Let's move on. Michelle Weidman, I'm looking at your statement number two. Let me read it and then I'll put you on speaker view and let's see what you have to say. We'll go around the room and see if you get some of those exclamation points. I think that's going to be our new standard. I'm only teasing, but I love it here. Michelle says, retaining customers, especially for SaaS, S-A-A-S companies is more important now than ever before. I'm going to stop there and let you finish the statement and unpack it. Michelle, go ahead. Yeah, I just think, you know, Minu mentioned she's been in software for over 25 years. I've been in it for over 20 years as well. And and I think when we started our careers, everything was a perpetual licensing model, which meant, you know, you got the bulk of your payment and nut at the initial purchase. And when we moved to a software as a service revenue, which is more of a subscription-based revenue, which means you know, you have to convince your customers to either re-sign with you every year or every three years or five years, depending upon the contract that they put in place with you. You know, Minu also mentioned outcomes and focusing on those business outcomes and ensuring the stickiness of your product and that your customers are getting value out of what you're offering them has become more important now than ever before, especially during COVID. I think all the procurement people went to the same class where they were calling all their vendors saying, I have to cut my funding, you know, give me a discount, give me a discount. And I think if you've done a really good job understanding what your customers' business objectives are, how you're helping them achieve that value and, you know, your stickiness is just there and, it, and it's so much better. And, and now that most or a lot of companies are SaaS-based, you know, receiving that Subscription revenue is what are keeping the lights on for everybody. So it's not only important that we keep our customers, but I've also had companies tell me and some of our customer advisory boards that they've been told not to onboard new vendors and to do more with the partners and vendors they're working with already. So in building those relationships and becoming the trusted advisors to our customers and showing them the initial business value they received in coming to us and really partnering with them to understand, you know, what is their Nirvana three-year, five-year goal and setting the stage early in the onboarding process to help them look like, you know, their own rock stars and champions Mm -hmm. helps us as a company really increase our, you know, footprint within these accounts and get more revenue from them. Thank you. Interesting topic. Deepak, whether you know it or not, you're sitting virtually next to Michelle. So I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree. And don't be afraid to disagree with her if you can. She she might still give you an exclamation point if you do it well. Go ahead, Deepak. <laughs> no, so I, I would say I, I mostly agree. So I, I think for stats, for sure, focusing on the retaining customers makes a lot of sense. And all the points that Michelle did, 
I would expand on that a little bit more and say that when you think broadly of B2B, this idea about the initial business value and the idea about the nirvana that, you know, three to five years, what it is, is actually going outside of software as well. So going back to, you know, my quote of thinking about completely insane, think about medical equipment businesses, think about industrial companies, think about chemical companies, think about oil and gas. All of those industries are starting to say, how do we prove that we provided value to our customers? And it's all of the things that is happening in SaaS that they have to take and apply it there. So I think it's it's not just SaaS. I think it actually goes beyond SaaS to think about how am I going to apply these principles and create that trust and show that value of outcomes that I'm delivering. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard because in those companies where the software is not the product, you really have to think outside the box to think about how do I take this concept and apply it but those who do it will just be like a rocket ship getting out there, right? They're going to get ahead of the curve very quickly uh, as the others kind of catch up. Thank you. Mina. Minu, join us, please. Go ahead. Yeah, I will uh, say double exclamation marks to Michelle. <laughs> right? So we are going to up the ante here. Yes. So, uh, you know, I think everything we're talking about, retention is the, it's the outcome. Right. What, mm-hmm. what as businesses, what are we why are we doing this? What's important to us? Yes, we want to retain customers. Yes, we want customers to be successful. In fact, the customer success industry was born out of this need and desire. Right. Ten years ago, if you asked me what would I be when I grow up, I would never have said customer success because there was no industry customer success. Right. Today, customer success is a thriving industry growing thousand percent year over year just for that reason, because once we earn the dollar of our customers, and if we can retain it, it doesn't cost us much. While to earn that dollar, I mean, it costs us eight to 25 times, there are studies, anything in between to keep in, to get that initial dollar. So it is a good business practice to keep your customers once you have them. So retention is definitely an important outcome. Now, how do we drive customers? How do we make sure customers are retaining? You know, Michelle and Deepak and everybody making great points about value. But I I fundamentally also think it's about making sure customers are healthy during this time with us. And, you know, thinking about customer health is a notion which is very important for us in the business context. How do you define health? Health is is a concept is um, you know, just like a doctor's office, you visit, you know, there's, there's lots of body parts. Health has a lot of body par- parts to it. And every part of health needs to be good because if something goes out of kilter, you know, you could be in deep trouble. Our customers could be in deep trouble. So keeping our customers healthy is kind of the way we look at it. And I think about when I want to get the outcome of retention because customers vote with their wallet. We need to win them every single day. Every single day, we need to keep them healthy. So that's how we we think about uh, retention. I'm giving you three exclamation points, Minu. Tim, join us. What do you think? This has been a great great discussion topic and something Deepak and I talk about offline quite a bit. And I think the point I just want to kind of emphasize is, I think what Deepak said is, in the software industry, I think we all have believed that this is important. And with with the recurring revenue model, it's important. Uh, this is becoming more and more important outside of the tech industry. And it's it, as you're, if you're sitting there somewhere outside of the, the tech or software industry, like you should be thinking about how this is going to impact your business and what your, you don't have to call them customer success teams. What is your, what is your support and service 
organization look like and what type of capabilities have to be built. As, as Michelle and Mina know, there's, there's a fair amount of capabilities that have to be built just to deliver on a customer success organization and, and to deliver on those, to define those outcomes and deliver on those promises. And I think, you know, as we think about what it means to be great, we need to think about what capabilities we need to, to have to, to enable those. And, and, and with those capabilities, then come the conversation we had again, provide more information for us to understand the health, allows us to be empathetic to our customers, allows us to deliver the value that they're looking for. Um, so I, I just think it's an emerging topic. And I don't think we, as professionals, we maybe appreciate it, but maybe those that are not in our industry appreciate the capabilities needed to really deliver on the, the customer promise. Thank you, Tim. Michelle, give you a minute or two to comment back to your co-panelists. Great topic, by the way. Thank you. Michelle, what do you think? Yeah, and I think Nunu brought up a great point about the health of the customer. And a lot of us who are in the success industry actually have customer health scores for our customers, which I think is a good tieback point to what Tim was originally saying about thrust, because oftentimes how we're determining what that customer satisfaction score is, is based on trustworthiness and reliability and, you know, all of this stuff just kind of reunites in a pretty package with a bow around it back together. Thank you very much. Let's move on. I have a statement selected for Deepak Sharma. I'm going to read a little bit. And there's a key word in this first sentence. And I'm going to stop right after that, Deepak, because I want you to explain it. He says, we have always known that in the end, decisions are more emotionally driven. This is now coming full force in our B2B world. Let's get that E emotions word in there. Deepak, talk to me. Yeah, so... You know, and, and I think there's a there's a saying in the industry around this for many years. It's like you first make the decision emotionally, then you find a rational way to define why you just went and spent millions of dollars on something. Uh, and I think we've all intuitively known that. And it's only now recently I feel that people are starting to realize how to merge that with the rational thing. And in some ways, this is like, you know, uh, I don't know, when you sit down with, let's say, your family and you're trying to plan a family vacation, it's always a challenge to get everybody to agree where they need to go, right? And and it's the same thing in the B2B world now. Uh, there's research that shows that, you know, for any B2B deal that's more than, say, a million dollars or close to it, there are 20 to 23 decision makers involved. So now think about it. You have a family of 23 you need to convince and you need to understand at a deeper level what's driving them, what's in it for them, why are they going to get behind this major decision and go. So that's kind of where I see it going. And our latest research that Tim and I did also proved this. So 60% of B2B buyers actually want that when you come and talk to them, you already contextualized and tailored the solution to them. And the next data point is the one that really kind of I think should open up the, the, you know, the ears and eyes for people is 45% of them believe that their vendors already have all the information they need to actually drive the discussion that way. They are just think that they are not connecting that data in the background and thinking about it that way. So they, and, and the sellers are not there. So there's a big gap in terms of what the expectation of the buyers in and how they're thinking you need to come and engage with me. Whereas, uh, it's not it's not happening in the industry. So that's kind of where I was going with this is you really have to think about, hey, my buyer is saying I have all the data. Have I connected all the data? Do I understand where they engage? Do I understand which channel they want to come in on? Do I understand how they want to be communicated, right? 
uh, all of those things which are somewhat hidden and more subtle actually have a big impact on the final decision that you're trying to drive the rationality is the rationality that's easy for people to wrap their arms around but at the end of the day the decision is still very internal and human driven and how do you kind of orchestrate that is kind of where uh, the world is going thank you very much let's go around the table minu agarwal you're next to deepak so go ahead yeah so so very interesting points there deepak and you know as as you were saying i was actually smiling when you were saying that the, the agreement you need with your family when you are doing something i was thinking of netflix movies right if i have to watch a movie agreement between four people is like an exercise in itself so i was chuckling when you were saying that but when we think about our customers right to your point our customers are are very educated now they are coming to the table doing their research listening to advocates what is the what is the insights the reviews everything they're very educated they know much better as to what they need right and i think we need to recognize that and embrace that so it it's almost like we have to start listening much more and if we listen and understand what you know what um customers are buying and what they're looking for and what they already know i think that closing that gap is going to be easier so it does start with a little bit of listening and i think you know um we are talking about the sales cycle but if we think about the customer journey listening is an important element across customers journeys and so we have to be listening constantly for what our customers need what they want and drawing insights so, you know cohorts of customers have similar requirements how are we using our technology it's advanced so advanced today to make some of those decisions to become even better when we are serving our customers and going back for those follow up conversations so i love some of the stats you were you were uh, you know indicating before but it really does come down to more listening and um and it in some ways it's great because sales cycles will be shorter right and uh, why are we not doing that we should absolutely do more of that meena you just earned a couple of exclamation points from deepak he told me in the chat let's go around the table tim keep going go, go ahead tim <laughs> yeah i, I think meena deepak some very interesting points there and i think deepak cuz you started with with emotions and then meena you talked a little bit about listening i think it's kind of interesting in the fact that i agree you know we we need to be listening better but what sometimes what we're hearing we listen you know we as sellers providing the service to the buyers you know we get emotionally attached to the way we were doing things before and we're afraid to take that next step like you mentioned you know that uh, most of our customers are much more educated right now and and they want to continue to be educated through through digital means they don't want to have necessarily have a bunch of face to face interactions in the upfront sale process they more or less want us to show up after we've converted that but i think that's counterintuitive if i'm the person that's that's the seller and we need to kind of as uh, organizations maybe take the emotion out of it a little bit and listen to the feedback that we're getting and adjust our our practices uh, to support that deepak mentioned in the research and the research we did with forester one of the interesting things that i didn't know we asked this question till i saw the research that came back but we asked about how you want people to show up and um what was interesting is you know again to your point the sellers are our buyers are educated only 29% of the buyers really wanted face to face interactions mm. in the sales process where well, the sellers thought that almost 50% thought they had to be there face to face all the time then if you flip the script and you ask the the buyers you when do you want people to show up uh, almost 60% of the of the buyers said like 
be there after we sell and be there with me face to face where the sellers thought, ah, you know, 25% of the sellers thought I don't really need to be there. And so it's just so interesting, the expectation difference. Now that our sellers are becoming more educated, the digital means are making uh, information more available. We maybe need to think about, listen to that and think about how we need to show up and engage um, more often, which will then lead to empathy and emotion and that type of thing. Thank you, Tim. Let's get Michelle Weidman in here. Michelle, what do you think? I'm going to go back to Deepak's comment on family, because I think one of the biggest mistakes both sales reps can make and customer success reps can make is becoming single-threaded in these accounts. And I think the account executives really need to understand all the people that are part of the buying process and have a say in the buying process. And then on the post-sale side, the same thing. Who are those players and what are those roles? And they probably all want to be supported in a different way. You know, a more technical person might want to leverage a Slack channel to support, you know, tickets or help desk tickets they have. I have other customers that have said, I don't even want to talk to you at all. I want you to empower me with a really good community so I can go find the answers to my questions on my own. And then we need to maintain our communication with the executives as well. And, and that's going to take on a different model or concept than how, you know, an IT director or a developer or, you know, a solution architect would want to engage. So meeting the person at the level of communication that best fits their needs is, is super important. Thank you. Deepak, I'm going to give you just 60 seconds to reply to all of them. My uh, wonderful comments around, I want to have time for a statement from Minu and have time to go around. So Deepak, anything you want to say to the others? No, I'm, I'm excited to hear. I mean, I'm glad to see some of the alignment. And, and, I, and I think uh, the only thing I would add is I think the, the statement earlier on, Michelle, you had a great point, which is if CS is there in pre-sales and then it's carrying on in the post-sales, as we all know, then that becomes the continuity to make sure that you're not losing sight of understanding and to Tim's point of listening and actually understanding what you listen versus just responding with what you want to go with. So I think that that kind of really becomes fundamental as we move forward. Thank you very much, Deepak. Excellent topic. Appreciate that. Minu has sent us an African proverb. I haven't heard this one in a long time, Minu. Let me read it and let's see what you're going. This is a, another shade of the topic we're talking about. She says, the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And the key word here, of course, we're talking about collaboration. Minu, I'm not going to read any more because we want to hear it in your own words. Go ahead. You're up. Yeah, thank you, Bonnie. And, you know, this is so meaningful to even where we are in the pandemic today, right? So as human beings, we work in tribes, we think together, we work together, we like to do things together. And I think, uh, you know, when we are on these journeys, looking for great outcomes, being bold, dreaming, helping customers, helping each other, collaboration goes a long way. I'm a, I'm a real believer that, you know, we cannot do things alone. We have to work together collectively to drive great outcomes for ourselves and our customers. And when I think about customer success, customer experiences are delivered through teaming, through collaboration, through single, you know, we have to act as one. Our customers should not be threading out differences between your product, your sales, you are such and such because inside the organization, we can be siloed, but great experiences for customers are built by breaking those silos and providing our customers through that seamless you know, view of how we engage with them. 
So that's one part. But then how do we really drive some of these things, right? It's, it's, a, it's a challenge because companies are large. If I look at VMware, you know, we are over 35,000 employees globally. How do you ensure that collaboration and build those great experiences? And I think digital is definitely one way uh, with we're living in the digital age. How do we leverage technology both for ourselves and our customers to be able to get this power and have this combination where we are sharing amongst each other everything that our customers are seeing and then sharing it with customers. So we have that joint accountability, continuous you know, trust, we talked about trust, responsibility, transparency. So taking it's, it's all about enabling this collaboration through digital, but building ultimately great customer experiences. Thank you very much. We love Proverbs. Thank you, Minu. Appreciate that. Another quote form, right? Let's go around the table. We got to keep it tight. We've got about six minutes left to the show. So who's sitting next to Minu? It's Tim Grulick. Tim, you're up. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a, great, a great quote there. Um, and I think collaboration is really important. I think what's also important is recognizing, like what you mentioned, it takes a set of capabilities to enable a company to collaborate with another company. We've talked a lot about family and how this potentially could be a family. But the thing is, when you're inside a family dynamic, you understand the culture, you understand the people's personalities, and you can react in there. When you're outside of that family dynamic and trying to serve that family, you have to make sure you have a little bit of an understanding of that same company culture, the last type of interactions that came through with that company so that you can be empathetic um, and you can deliver on you know, outcomes. And so I think just as, as we think about trying to get to that stage of collaboration, that we need to recognize that there are probably a fair set of capabilities a fair set of data that needs to be aggregated, a fair set of listening posts that needs to be pulled together, a fair set of way to use unstructured data that we need to think about so that we can empower our resources that interact with our customers on a daily basis so that they can understand them and be empathetic and, and drive that collaboration. Without that, fund, that foundation in place, it, it's tough to get to that collaborative nature. Thank you. Michelle Weidman, you're up. Yeah, I'm going to keep mine short, but I'm going to stick on the theme of playing well in the sandbox. And, you know, Minu mentioned before how success is just exploding. So I think her and I probably spend a lot of our time hiring and interviewing folks. And one of the qualities I look for the most in talking with candidates is can they play well in the sandbox because they have to interact with sales and product and tech support and marketing and, you know, the list goes on and on. And I need good humans that are going to work well with others because, you know, we're going to win together as a team. Very interesting. Team together, collaboration. There we go. Deepak, you came up because your phone must have made a little noise. And I'm putting you on the screen anyway next because we want you to reply to what <laughs> Minu introduced, that wonderful proverb and or what Michelle said. Deepak, go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, try to uh, be very short and I'll, I'll give an example that this is a human driven example, but I think this is where uh, we need to think how to scale it using all the digital tools and technology. So uh, the, there was an executive, right, who was involved in a big deal. He was on the buyer side and something came up and the, the, the sellers got the message that this executive now has a major presentation next day in the morning. They got it at around 3 p.m. But given all the collaboration, all the people who had interacted with this executive, they understood what his life was, what he did in the evening, and how he kind of uh, combined work and life. So instead of just sending him a data file and saying, here's the data you asked for, they turned it quickly by collaborating across various functions into a podcast. Send him a podcast because they know he... 
he runs late at night and they were like just listen to this and you'll be ready for your 7 a.m meeting that you need to present tomorrow at to me that is like how do you scale that right that is putting humans and emotions and really personalizing it and putting it and yes you could do it over here the thing then is okay how the hell are we going to scale this and do this for everyone that we want to do it for Thank you very much. Great around the table. Mino, I'll give you 30 seconds to reply to them. Anything you want to say, and then we're going to do a quick lightning round of predictions on where this is all going. Minu, comments? No, I think everything everyone said resonates a lot with me. So thank you. This was fantastic. Thank you. Let's go around the table. Tim Grulick, 30 seconds or less. What do you predict where we're going with humanizing B2B experience? Go. I think a significant investment in the next couple of years on that. I think the practice of the software industry has uh, pioneered will expand into other industries. We're just going to be a leader for everyone. Thank you. That was short. You actually have another 18 seconds left. Anything you want to add? <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it for others to, to expand. <laughs> Michelle, you get 48 seconds. Go ahead. I think I'm really excited to see where we go with artificial intelligence and if we're going to start to be able to leverage that more to actually predict customer sentiment and trustworthiness and, and all of those things. Very interesting. And that gets into algorithms, right? And algorithmic bias and who is writing those algorithms and who are they and what's on their mind and how do they feel about trust, collaboration, empathy, emotions, teamwork, and all of the good things we've been talking about. There's always a human behind it somewhere unless you teach the machines to do all your algorithms. But who taught the machines in the first place? What can I say? Deepak Sharma, what do you think? Uh, you, got about, you still have 45 seconds. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, thanks, Tim. Uh, I would say, for me, the prediction is that a lot of customer success that happens today will actually start getting built into the product. Uh, a lot of the things that the customer success folks are doing today will be pre-built into the product, and customer success folks will be focused more on the real human relationship and the experience aspect of it versus a lot of the block and tackle things that are happening. So in some ways, Michelle, it's like what you were saying, AI and using it. The place where I may be slightly contrary to, to some of the folks on the, on the panel today is I don't think that the AI algorithms and all will be the one. I think there'll still be a huge human-to-human -human element. The thing is we haven't created enough time for people to focus on that. So eliminating the others through digital is where I see the world going. And then... The human to human is still a magic, and that magic has to exist. Thank you. Magic, there's a word we didn't have before. Minu Agarwal, you get the last word prediction. Go ahead. I love that word magic. If we are going to make magic happen, that's the prediction, right? Magic, magical things are going to happen, but really it is about uh, everything is going to be predictive. I think we are going to leverage digital so that our customers can get the help where they need it, when they need it, and how they want to consume it be it human, be it product, be it uh, technology. And I really think the lines between sales and customer success will blur even further. I really believe that it's gonna to come together and there's no going to not, because everything is about customer success from start to finish. So I think the lines will blur even further and it will be one seamless motion all about helping customers be successful. Thank you, Mino. So some of the keywords I got out of this are people, humanizing, trust, listening, empathy and emotions, collaboration, 
and magic. I want to thank the four of you. I've been so privileged to speak with the four of you. I've learned a lot. I appreciate your insights, your preparation for the show. Tim Grulick, always a pleasure. Michelle Weidman, lovely to meet you. And thank you. I hope you'll come back, Deepak Sharma. Wonderful to meet you. And Mina, Minu, forgive me, Minu Agarwal. Great addition to the panel. I have to tell everybody, Minu was just invited very last minute yesterday, and here she is fully ready to go, and we appreciate all of your comments. You've been wonderful to work with, and I want to do a shout out. Everybody say thank you to the sponsors of this show. Let's just do a big thank you. Thank you. Come on. Thank you to Carla Neal and Helen Tomas and Igosa Obakpalor. And in the background, we also have Natalie Butlin at Deloitte and Maria Rechtenwald. And thank you to my engineer, Aaron Keller at Voice America. Everybody say thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. And you've all been listening to the Kinetic Enterprise presented by Deloitte. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Have a great day, everyone. Be safe, be smart, be savvy, and do what you got to do to stay healthy. Let's say goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham next Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development, LLC. All rights reserved.